Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are going to party like it's 1996. Because me and Chad, we've just gotten back from a movie. A movie of absolute awesomeness. A movie called Venom, comma, colon, let there be carnage. And tonight, we toast and celebrate our co-host Chad Metz, as Sony has given him this gracious birthday present of bringing the MCU and the Venomverse together so that we may have abundance of movies. Chad, say hello to the fine people. Hello, people. I just want to let y'all know that officially, um, since the commercial said Thursday, officially this movie does not come out on my birthday, which is Friday, October 1st. So I, I just want that on the record that Venom did not come out on my birthday, officially. You were supposed to get the Batman, but you know. Yeah, I, there was something else before then. And then I was supposed to get the Batman. It was supposed Batman. to be Man of Steel like two, I believe, at some point. Uh, I don't remember. I just remember the Batman because like, oh, this is good. This is a good way for my birthday. And then, uh, no, no, that's not, not a thing that's happening for me. So instead, I got this thing close to my birthday. And we, we can get to that last part way last because I'm still trying to decide if it pisses me off or not. I don't know yet. Uh, I, that'll be an interesting conversation to have. But uh, Chad, I did that thing that I can often do because I own you know, the original copies of our podcast and don't have to go digging for them. Um, I listened to our recap of the original Venom movie from 2018. And I remember someone specific, specifically saying this movie was going to die on the vine and that it was going <laughs> to cause Sony to reevaluate things and that it was going to make no more than $200 million at the box office. And uh, Chad, here we are three years later and uh, we got our sequel. Did I say all that? You did. You said quite a lot about that. <sighs> okay, so, um, you know, I can't be right about everything. I got to miss sometimes. The term that you used was that Marvel Studios was going to open up a vein on Sony and Sony was going to sell everything back. That was that was an actual quote from you, Chad Metz, three years ago. Yeah, boy, I, I whiffed on that one. Um, I mean, what can I say? In my defense, going in to the first Venom, there was nothing about that movie that said it's going to be a success. Nothing at all. No, I mean, yes, people wanted Venom. They wanted Venom in a movie, but they did not want it in the way that it happened. But apparently they did because they kept going to see it. I've still only seen that movie that one time. I've never seen it again. Since you listened to it, you, you can tell me if I did, if I was at least complimentary to the Venom that was presented, i.e. the relationship between Eddie and Venom. Because I think I was. Maybe I'm, I'm lying to myself, but I think I was. No, you were very, you were very open about the fact that this, uh, this version was kind of, you know, not hateable. Like you went in wanting to hate the movie and you actively felt okay about the movie. You just didn't like what the movie stood for, which was, you know, at the time, the whole deal about Venom and Spider-Man being separated and separate universes and yada, yada. Yeah. Yeah. So as I, I kind of like to put it now, it's like, you know, it's, it's from, this is all fruit from the poison tree. The, the, the roots of the tree are based in Venom not being a part of Spider-Man. 
So inherently, if I if you don't like that premise, then everything else from it kind of, you know, it's your view is tainted by that. But if you can put that aside and just look at what is given, um the for the first one, it's they made Eddie and Venom interesting in their relationship somewhat likable even if it's not something that you wanted and with this one um the way i describe this movie is everything that was good about the first movie which was the relationship between eddie and venom and in turn eddie's pro uh eddie's ex-wife uh relationships between people that have the symbiote and the action that you could see those were the good things in the first Venom. So this one, they doubled down on those things and nothing else because there's nothing else in the movie because it, it's it's that relationships fight over. That's the movie. Easy, breezy, beautiful. When they got, so when they get to the church and I know that Eddie, I know Venom's going to the church. I looked at my watch and I believe it was no more than 6.10. Now, I know this movie started at 4.30, but with 20 minutes of trailers, that means it didn't start till about 4.50. And almost a little bit over an hour, and we're at the beginning of the third act. I'm like, wow, we're like, this thing is really done. Like, we're, we're here. It's over. I was shocked at how fast this thing just moved. Credit to both editors, because there are two credited editors on this movie. Um, you know, Andy Serkis sure churned out a, a burner here. Uh, you know, 90 quick minutes of nonstop action and uh, some, uh, you know, some, I mean, you, you talked about the fact that this movie fixes, takes all the good parts. Well, listening back to, um, to our podcast about Venom three years ago, one of our complaints was the film dragged. Like there was, there was a definite, for as short as the film was, it was under two hours. It still felt long because, you know, there were, that first act specifically takes forever. Uh, you don't have that problem this time. None of it. You don't even None. really have time for exposition or explanation of people. Nope. They, they, uh, you know, one, part of the critiques of superhero movies is that, you know, they're formulaic, um, but and how I defend it is, you know, a regular street three act structure. There's, you know, the first act, the introduction, the second act introduces you to the conflict. Third act is the resolution. At the end of the second act, the in superhero moves, what typically happens is the hero has met the villain. The villain has kicked the hero's ass. And now the hero is drugged down low and now must go and resolve this. But we didn't do that. Like, Venom and Carnage only see each other once, and that's it. So they kind of just cut that part out. Like they 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 brought him low by uh, taking by kidnapping Anne. That was pretty much the bringing the hero no, to the low him, point. They brought him low by breaking up him and Venom. Wait, that's right. But he, but in like in the like. If you're trying to put that in the three-act structure, I mean, normally that is what happens, but 
because they didn't like have the 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 Eddie like having to deal with him without Venom. Like that is that is there, but he gets him back, and it's like there's like this little part where he kidnaps Anne, and it kind of I don't know it does it's it kind of doesn't fit into what I would normally think as the end of the second, beginning of the third. It's just kind of like, okay, we need to do this. So we did this. And the church is the beginning of the third, uh, the third act. So it's a little weird in that, in that regard, but it, I mean, it worked, but I think it works just because it's like, it's meant to go fast. It is. It's, it's <laughs> storytelling economics 101. Uh, the best example I can give of that in this film is the cop. Like when when they show you the flashback of how uh, 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 Siren or what's what's her name? Shriek. Shriek. What? Shriek. 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 Um, so when they show you Shriek's origin story, they show you a very close up of that name badge. But that name badge on that cop means absolutely jack to you <laughs> at any particular point in the film. It doesn't really explain to you until you see the hearing aid and you do the whole thing that you put two and two together and you realize, oh, this is the cop that shot her and they have a history, yada, yada. But well, you have to put that together. It's not explicitly spelled out for you in the film. Um, well, that's the perfect example. Like, it, like if you had allowed the film to breathe a little bit more or if it had been a more traditional superhero movie you would have gotten that backstory in an, in an exposition yeah well because i i knew and you know we watch a lot of movies i know the trick so because they explicitly said it was pretty much like a stop sign with his with his name badge like really really tight close up so you can see his whole name as soon as i saw that i'm like okay i don't know who the hell this dude is but he's gonna be somebody that comes back so I just, I logged his name. So as soon as we meet him with Eddie and they say his last name, I'm like, oh, that's him. And even then, when they first show him, you don't see the hearing aid until the next time you see him. And they they show the shot of him like, I don't know why you, like, you made it a point to show his name. You want us to know he's important to it. I don't know why you're trying to wait to reveal that he's that guy when you've already said his name. Just make it clear there. But you know, it like you still pick up on it because, again, they say his name, they show his earpiece later, and then they hammer it home towards the middle end of the film. So everybody's like, oh, yeah, that. But that's a perfect example of something that would have been handled differently in a standard two hour, two hour, 15 minute superhero movie or movie, period. Yeah, they probably would have just, he would have been in the car. We wouldn't like, if you would have saw his name, it wouldn't have been so uh, in your face to make sure you recognize it. You just seen that scene play out. And then later you find out, Oh, he's that guy. Yeah. Because when Eddie calls him and is like, you know, this is what I'm seeing on the tree. And he says, that's impossible because I shot her. Mm. Then he would have told the story about how he ended up losing his hearing. Yeah. We would have got that flashback and like, Oh, he's the young guy. But like that's just just the perfect example of like the brisk stuff that you cut to make this thing as streamlined as possible. So I mean, uh, 
let me ask you a question, Chad. Mm-hmm. What did you think when they're fighting and they're doing all this stuff, which by the way, was filmed and choreographed a lot better than the first time. Just kudos yes. to Andy Circus and the design team for actually getting this to a place where like, now Grant, this fight is more about symbiotes being symbiotic, right? Because Carnage and Cassidy are not as symbiotic in harmony as Venom and, um, and, and Eddie. Eddie. Mm-hmm. But you don't get the messiness of like two gobs of goo fighting each other, which I appreciate. But yeah. what were your thoughts as soon as you saw the church bell? Because I was having PTSD flashbacks to like 2007. And like the one part that I really enjoy about the Spider-Man 3 movie outside of, you know, uh, Hobgoblin and Spider-Man. No, um so I didn't I didn't have those thoughts. Um, you didn't make that connection? No, well, so just in Venom lore, like that a church bell is like very important. Like it, like in Spider-Man 3, when uh Peter finally gets rid of the symbiote the first time, is that it's pretty much the exact scene from Spider-Man 3. So I'm pretty sure in every incarnation of Spider-Man that has Venom that first fight always ends with the church bell. So like, I'm, I'm so used to that. Like I saw it and it just did, it did nothing for me. Cause I'm just, it's like synonymous with Venom at that point. So I'm like, I, I see the church bell. I'm like, oh, well, there's a loud ass bell. That's how the, that's going to play into this fight in some kind of way, because it always does with Venom. Um, but it never, it didn't strike like a, a specific Spider-Man three tone with me. But I knew it was going to be important, and it was. All right, Chad. So let's celebrate this movie by talking about the good, the bad, and the not so good. Let's start off with your not so good. <laughs> My not so good. Um. So uh, this is all personal taste for me, and it's, it's not even of the whole, you know, no Spider-Man thing. Um, it will. It's the like the whole nature of how venom exists in this movie um like how cletus gets the suit you know that's fine that's kind it's a bit of what happens uh, they don't really explain it uh in the in the comics basically what happens is you know uh cletus and eddie are cellmates and cletus doesn't like eddie and he's about to kill eddie and then venom shows up and he breaks eddie out but when he breaks Eddie out, uh, the symbiote basically has a baby that he leaves behind, hence Carnage, uh, which I did like in this movie that uh, when Carnage sees Venom, he refers to him as father because that's what he does in the comics. Um, but in like when you watch Venom show up on Eddie, he he clearly covers him and makes him bigger and transforms into to Venom. In this. Um, it's more of a like borderline body horror kind of thing. He like Cletus is turning into carnage, which is fine if you want to go that route. And even when he's, uh, so when he's breaking out the jail, he's like, he's so entwined that he can open his body parts and let bullets go through and all that kind of stuff, uh, which is not how I envision carnage. I envision carnage like Venom wears a covering so it wouldn't have those pass-throughs. Um, 
and I would have been fine with that until we got to the end where uh, we find that Cletus and Carnage are not in sync. And that's when it looks more like they're two separate things. And it just kind of, like, just the whole physics of how the physics they introduced to us with the physics of that at the end, I didn't really agree with that. I didn't really like that. And uh, also with the fact that they also made Carnage get bigger, which is another thing I didn't like because one of the things with Carnage is that he was always smaller than Venom, but he's more powerful than Venom. So it's the whole juxtaposition. Venom is a big hulking thing, but Carnage is smaller and more powerful. And it, it, it that the look of that dynamic to carry out, but they went with the big monster carnage. And last in that part is again from in my mind, Cletus is so messed up that when he gets to symbiote, they are so in sync with this. Let's kill as much stuff as we can. They are one and they don't refer to each other as like we are. Uh, like Venom does is always just me because he's that in sync with the thing. So they chose to go a different way with that. I didn't really care for it. So these are all just my personal proclivities with it. Um, it didn't, again, I can separate myself from that. It didn't, it didn't take away from it, but it didn't match what I thought about for Carnage, except for the whole metamorphosis thing. I didn't like how they went one way and then ended another. Well, I mean, for that, you could go back to the to the original at the end where he he splits in half and you see Eddie's face and you see Venom's face and it's we are Venom. Like so like like Carnage being able to take being in control and and uh Cassidy seeing his wife being assaulted, it's these are two different goals. They have two different end, end separation. And so he's Cassidy is reaching out to try and stop Cass, uh, uh, Carnage. And I think they did that in a lot better way than they did with Raz Ahmed and, and that whole deal last time. But I can, I can kind of see what you're saying. The other thing that I, too, that I would say that I enjoyed about that, uh, the, the transformation scene, which was the majority of which we saw if you piece together all the trailers, you saw pretty much that entire series scene. But one of the things that I enjoy about it is that it uh, comments on uh, the death penalty and it comments on the fact that, um, I don't know how many people are aware of this in society, but like the reason that the death penalty has kind of uh, waned in the last four to five years as a method of execution, as a method of, of justice, is because the, the the drugs, the physical like drugs that we use to execute people through the manner of lethal injection, have not been made anymore. Like they've stopped being made. The company went under or whatever, and so they've become harder and harder to find. And what has happened in a couple of cases has been that some states have played around with other ingredients other drugs to kind of essentially do the same thing and there are some prisoners who have experienced extreme uh, pain and suffering 
and convulsions and other um, not so great outcomes from the use of these other drugs. And to the point where like, there are a couple of states where executions have been uh, legally um, prohibited <laughs> because they, um, they, they violate the terms of the idea of the, uh, um, doing no harm or um, I forget what the exact term is, but um, uh, needless death, uh, pain. It's something to do with the, the degree of pain, human, human suffering, whatever. So I liked that they did that because it kind of was echoing that California decides they're going to execute one dude and that dude just starts convulsing and immediately seems like he's in extreme agony as this thing takes over his body. So I really liked, liked that commentary that they were doing, even if not, many people are going to pick up on it. And I know it's comics accurate too. Um, but my not so good uh, would be that there's not enough Michelle Williams in this movie for me. Um, she was a big part, a big boost to the first movie. She's here. So is boyfriend. Uh, they're both back. Uh, fiance. Now. Um, they're both back for this movie. Um, but they're not in it nearly as much. I can't really fault anybody because, you know, no one's in this movie. No one's in this movie very much except for, you know, Eddie and Venom and Carnage. It's pretty much it. Even Sheik is kind of pushed to the sidelines until she inhabits another body, and we'll get to that later. Um, but Michelle Williams is a delight, and especially when she starts interacting with Venom and the way she communicates with Venom, having already had been a host, so she can tell that Venom is inside of Eddie at the table. That's why she blatantly asks him, and he lies, and that's just another thing to push her over, because she can hear him. She is on that wavelength because she's had him inside of her before, no pun intended. So um, not enough Michelle Williams in this movie for me. I really didn't like the whole care for the whole damsel and distress thing that they did with her because like, didn't feel like that was altogether necessary. I felt like Venom wanting to be a hero, wanting to save the day um, would see what Carnage was doing and would have gone after him anyway. Like you didn't have to have a, as a screech, as uh, as the lady says, you know, a bait or lure for the big fish. Uh, the big fish would have come regardless, I think. And so, um, I really wish Michelle Williams would have been a more active part of the finale, the way she was last time, as opposed to this time. Because that first time, I felt like gave her agency and power, and this time, I feel like they took that away and they gave it to the dude. <laughs> Who pours lighter fluid oh, yeah. on the carnage? So, I mean that 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 was just a little little thing for me. That was my not so good. Yeah, I I mean there was a point in this movie. Where I was like, is Michelle Williams only going oh. to be in this movie for like five minutes? Cruel and unusual punishment. That was the term I was looking for. Oh, yeah. um, but when yeah, when she shows up, um, when she shows up, what twice? The first two times, I'm like. Is that, that really going to be it? Is she done for, for this movie? Which, at that point, I would have been fine with because it would have avoided the whole damsel and distress stuff. And she re she really didn't have to be in distress for for the finale at all. Like, if they would have just gotten away before uh, Shriek showed up, I would have been fine. We could have had this resolution without, without that part, but they chose to go that route. Um, they also could have had her and Shriek go face to face. 
especially uh, one streak, especially one streak takes care of the cop. I mean, you you could the whole thing, like when when that happens. My my first thought is okay. So why is this even a fight? Because she has sonic blasts that people have clearly been afraid of for years, um, and we saw what happened to it to the cop at close range. So this shouldn't even be a thing. So I would have just much rather her not been a part of the finale at all. Yeah, I, I would have wanted her to be a part of the finale, but I would have wanted her to have more agency. For example, if it's her that pours the gasoline on top of Carnage instead of the dude, instead of I mean, Dan, yeah. I think that that would have been an appropriate way to use of her. I just think she's damn good in the role, and she's a lot of fun. And I just think that they the movie would have been better served with more of her in it. So that's why I put it in my not-so-good. See that. So let's go to our good Chad. What was your good about Venom? Let there be carnage. Um, the good is that they again, I said it earlier, they doubled down on this whole Eddie Venom relationship. The 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 buddy, the, I mean almost buddy cop kind of thing that goes on between them. Uh they went the full force. And yeah, there 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 have been comparisons to that um which i would not argue um yeah they went they went deeper well not deeper but they 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 really said this is the focus of the movie this is this is what people like the most of it most of the last one so we're really going to hammer down on it and most of the movie is just and he talked to venom and it works even though it's stupid and goofy a whole lot of times it works. It works for this movie. It makes this movie uh, endearing, and because they because they focus so much on that, and they cut out the dragging parts, I think they were very successful in making this movie because they knew what what the selling point of this movie was. And I, I mean, I really, it really is. When you think about it, it really is dumb because Tom Hardy is just talking to himself with another funny voice. And occasionally chickens, um, but it it works for this, and I think it's the the best part of the movie. It's what the movie stands on, and they were right to do that with it. I mean, yeah, I agree. It's the heart and soul of the movie, right? Is the I mean that was what the trailers were selling. That was what the original movie was praised for was Hardy's conviction in going all out for the role. I mean, I. I get that. I, I totally would agree that that is a good for the movie because it's the heart and soul of the movie. If that doesn't work, none of the movie works. And as we said four, three years ago, like Tom Hardy as Venom uh, in the way that he portrays him pretty much keeps this movie from uh, being at, you know, this movie's at about, about a 30. The original was at like a 30 on Rotten Tomatoes. And we we're like, it probably would be at like a 15 or 16 if Tom Hardy wasn't in this doing this thing. So, like, I, I get that, and I think that it is a good, and it's, like I said, the heart and soul of the movie. Uh, for me, my good is out Venom at a Day of the Dead Club with a whole bunch of neon bracelets and necklaces giving a very awkward speech behind a DJ desk. And I was really, really hoping to see Venom DJ a rave. That would have been something I would have enjoyed seeing. That is my good. He can, but can he DJ? Like I, when he went up there, I thought he was gonna actually like rap or something. But 
then you realize he's only ever talked to one other dude. Uh, I don't know if he has the skills to do this stuff. So they played on that. It was like, no, nah, he's just an awkward ass big dude that people are into and he, and, and he's enjoying the moment, but he's also, he also doesn't know when to stop what, what boundaries are. So he gives this awkward speech, but it works for him. It does work for him. It also plays into to my bad, but we'll we'll get to that in a second. Um, so, you know, I enjoy the club thing. I enjoy the the Day of the Dead theme. I enjoy the mat, the makeup, and I enjoy the costume design. I enjoy the way the whole thing is set up and framed. Um, it, it's a really fun sequence, and I enjoyed it much more than the lobster tank sequence from last time. Oh yeah, that was just so awkward and bad. And I think they and they brought it up again in this movie. Yes, they did. They they brought up the fact that he the lobster incident, as well as the fact that Eddie was the only one at life, uh, the Life Foundation when that rocket blew up. Yeah, that's uh, understandable why people are so skeptical of him. I mean, he's very conveniently everywhere at all times. For, for a guy who basically runs the internet version of the Dredge Report. This is true. This is true. So, yeah. Chad, what is your bad for this film? Um, I think, yeah, I think I'm going to do it. I think, I, I still don't know how I feel about it, but I'm going to say it's bad. I'm going to say it's bad. Uh, I'm going to talk about the damn stinger at the end, I think. Uh, amendment, sir, you cannot use that as your bad because that is our closing part of this. We always keep the post-credit singers separate from our good or bad and are not so good. But I'm talking about the body in the movie. Okay, fine. 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 I won't say that it, that's bad. Uh, what 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 is bad? I, I mean, it's I mean, I have a list if you'd like me to go first. Yeah, go go ahead. So, I'm, I'm so like, my together. bad would be Eddie, my bad would be Woody Harrelson, and not because this wig, but because the man is trying to chew scenery and he's too damn old to chew scenery. Like, oh, oh. So, do you realize how old they have him playing in this movie? I I'm sure they have him playing in his fifties. Uh, no, because he's in that uh in that he, children's oh, home. That's right. He's in Ravenclaw in '96. Yeah, ninety six, and so they're that's what, like twenty five years. Uh, yes, it is twenty five so, years, and so he would have no been playing forty at the at the at the latest. Uh, at the latest, but I think that kid was younger than that. So yeah, he's he's I think he's playing younger than me, and I'm forty. So, when I when I did that math, I'm like, y'all out your damn minds. I don't know how old Woody Harrelson is, but I know Woody Harrelson's like in his early 60s. I'm going to look it up now. Well, I mean, for me, um, you know, that that's more my thing for me is like, he's, I come off of Ewan McGregor doing, uh, you know, uh, Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. And that scene chewing and that, that out there like energetic magnetic performance that resonates in that movie alongside all the other out there performances right it stands out it works this does not work for me 
It didn't work for me three years ago when he showed up in a random bozo wig, and it didn't show. It didn't work for me this time. I was more engaged with she with, with Shriek and what was going on with her because she had a very New Mutants vibe to her. Again, this is your reminder: there is a New Mutants movie, and I saw it in theaters twice, and I own it. It is very good. Don't let the critics tell you otherwise. But anyway, um, like it didn't work for me. Like his line delivery, the attempts at pain and agony that he tries to display outside of the, the execution scene we talked about, like he, he never seems, they never seem in love and they never, that connection is needed to make that dynamic work and it never comes across. And his scenes with Hardy, especially in the jail cell, like they don't have that, that thing you know, what did we say about Joker? Like one of the best things about that movie is that last scene where it's just De Niro and Phoenix bannering back and forth and giving great performances from two fine actors. Like that's what you could have had here and it doesn't land. And so that would that would be a part of my bad. Story-wise, one of my bad would be the fact that Eddie knows that Venom cannot live very long inside of anybody else other than him. And so he willingly allows Venom, after a fight in the apartment, to willingly leave his body. He actually pushes the button on the, on the uh, uh, fire alarm to get Venom out of his body, and he allows Venom to waltz right out of his life, knowing that the only way Venom can live is with the human host. And that once that human host is done, Venom is done with that human host, that person is dead. So I submit to you the fact that Eddie Brock willingly committed murder for at least three individuals. At least three individuals, maybe four, are dead because Eddie Brock and Venom had a fight in the apartment over chickens. So, you know... Chickens that are named Sonny and Cher, of all things. I'm sure the kids will get that pop culture reference. Way to go, guys. Um, you couldn't call them Rick and Morty. Like, come on, dudes. So, I mean, that would be a story bad for me that, like, Eddie Brock just let Venom, like, loose on the city and allowed these people to die. Um, the other thing that I would say would be my bad would be the fact that, like, I didn't necessarily need the um, I didn't necessarily need the gel the gel cell stuff to go as long as it did because I don't think like you're just trying to get to that bite and I don't think they do the anticipation and the Hannibal Lecter um, Silence of the Lambs thing very well. But like you're trying to build to that bite, and I just think you take too long to get there, and so that would that would be another one of my bad. And the last thing that I will point out, sir, is uh, as my bad is the fact that uh, Michelle Williams once again does not make out with Tom Hardy and give him back his symbiote. I mean, she's engaged, and her fiance was right there. But still, man, that's the way you pass that symbiote between each other is established in the first movie. I mean, I thought they were going to do that, but I was like, 
but he's standing right there, and he's actually been it, like. I think it could have been like a Sharon Carter, Steve Carter, uh, a Sharon or a, uh, Agent Thirteen, Steve Rogers moment there, where like they kiss, and then Bucky and Falcon are just in the bug. I think they don't do it because they they planned on using him later, and he might it it, it muddies things on his in, on his motivations to help if he. Uh, if he's feeling threatened that she might actually leave him for venom the whole point of the, that relationship is that she like that eddie finally becomes good with her moving on and he is good with her decision uh which he is very much not at the beginning um uh you you have some you laid out some pretty pretty good bands uh i i did not think of the eddie letting venom walk and murder people thing quite like that because um, I forgot that was the case until the first person died uh, but apparently uh, what's her name Mrs. Chan uh, he can live with Mrs. Chan that that didn't seem to be a problem we don't know this we do not know this because we never see Mrs. Chan we just see Venom and Michelle Williams's character talking and then we cut to the church we don't see, or we cut to the to the police department, right? That we cut to the police department. We don't know how she got that symbiote. I mean, we pretty much can figure out because she was like head first with the the dude dying with venom right there. That's how she got it. Now, no, I'm talking about how Mrs. Chan gave it to oh. Michelle Williams. I think she just. Uh, I I just always assume he just jumped. Um, it, it seems like. But if he There's just a, jumped, that still doesn't mean that that uh, Mrs. Chan is still alive. Yeah, it does. Every time we saw him jump in in this movie, it was he did it out of necessity because that body could no longer. Well, no, the first, the very first guy that got he he jumped on was the guy that was yelling downstairs. He just fell on him. He wrecked Eddie's bike, and then he left. And the guy was fine. He just left him and he went to the girl. It's when he stayed too long and they couldn't handle him and their bodies deteriorated that he like jumped. So either she can handle him being on her or he didn't stay on her long enough for her body to deteriorate. That's that's kind of where we're at with her. But remember when he bonds with Venom, he's like, I can fix that. I mean, he can well, yeah, he can for Eddie because Eddie can can stand him. So if it's if it's a human that could actually hold him as a host, yeah, he can he can fix it and keep him alive. If they can't, then they're just going to eventually deteriorate and die. Again, this is your uh, this is your reminder that uh, Raz Ahmed was in a Venom movie as an evil doctor who started out by talking to kids about science and ended up having a symbiote fight on a rocket. Yeah, that's that's what happened. So what is your bad, Chad? I've delayed this long enough. <laughs> you have allowed me to filibuster on the bad simply so that you can recreate your bad from my uh, Robert Rule of Order about the body of the movie. Yeah, yeah. I'll go. So I'll go to um, when Venom, well, not Venom, when, when Carnage is uh, first introduced. Again, this is more of a, a preference thing. Um, I, he didn't really get to. Ki- he didn't kill anybody that was in that room 
with him, like maybe one, right? Everybody else kind of ran. Um, yeah, the warden was the only was the main part of that whole that whole deal. So, the way that I pictured Carnage, uh, I thought he should have slaughtered everybody in that room. And then when they're running through the jail, um, I understand that you know he 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 sees kindred spirits in all of these inmates and letting them out. Um, he would have killed all of them too. He has the power to kill all of them. And they didn't, they, for me, they didn't dive deep enough into the complete bloodthirstiness of not just Carnage, Cletus Cassidy. He is a serial killer for me. And he just likes to kill people. And giving him the symbiote was the worst thing because it lets him do it with impunity. He can just do it whenever he wants as long as he's walking around. So I thought he should have slaughtered pretty much the whole prison. Um, and I did not like the uh, the carnage tornado in in the damn jail. I thought that was stupid and, and it made no sense for him to do that. Just just kill him. Just you you make blades and sharp tendrils and spikes and stuff. Just kill them. You don't need to make this stupid world, stupid Tasmanian whirlwind for us to not see what's going on unless we're in the thing. Just murder everybody. But again, yeah. I think that's done to obscure, uh, you know, one of the things that I saw in the reviews was like, this is an ultra-violent movie. And I'm like, it's a soft PG-13 movie. This is not even like a hard PG-13 movie. Like he says the F word once and he bites off maybe two heads. Like for a movie that has carnage in it, there really should be more bloodshed. There really should be more decapitation. There really should be more violence to it. But there isn't because it's a soft PG-13 movie for mass audiences that runs roughly 80 minutes and helps you go about your day. Because it's PG-13, I know there's not going to be blood, but you can kill a lot of people and not show blood. And they could have done the headless. You just show the headless bodies. That's what they do in the, uh, that's what they do in the insane asylum or or in the, the hospital when he goes to rescue sheep. They just show the headless bodies. Yeah, yeah, that's all you had to do. So, it, it, yeah, it didn't, it didn't go to the level of um, um, sheer. I don't say violence because I knew there wouldn't be like rated R type violence, but the kind of, but the kind of mayhem that Carnage want to do. Yeah, let's not start the uh, um, the plea for release the uh, circus cut. Because I don't think they're like this is just the decision the studio made, which is an interesting decision, given who who this character is, um, and the history behind it. You brought up something interesting to me about Cletus Cassidy being a serial killer. The thing is, they never really established that very well because of the briskness of the movie. They give Eddie, they give Eddie the clue to go get the bodies from the from the whatever. But like they make a really I wouldn't even say it's a full attempt. I'd say it's more of a half-hearted attempt to make him sympathetic. Because in the middle of the third act, he has this monologue about how, you know, Eddie's not really good at journalism. Because Eddie doesn't ask the question, well, why would he have killed his mother? Why would he have killed his grandmother? Why would he have killed his father? Well, the answer would be because he, you know, they were uh, abusing him. 
And that in a way can seem to shed light or justification on, you know, the reasons for him doing what he did. And maybe not to the individuals, but the thing is any of those individuals that were found by the side of the sea, we don't know their stories. We don't know what they were. We just know they were bodies that he had, people he had killed that they collected. We don't know those stories the way that we know the father, the, the father, the mother, and the grandmother, because we're told those stories through animation. Which so I like, like that. I like that animation, by the way. I like the way they did that. Yeah, but like they they make a real half, at least a half-hearted attempt to make him sympathetic. Yeah, and they do because yeah, you're right because they never mention it until he makes that speech. But and even in that. Um, once once they did that, I thought back about them like they never really say who these people are that uh who whose bodies these are, these people went who they found from Eddie's clue. They never really say who they are. So the movie only explicitly says that he kills those three people because of these reasons. So I don't th- I don't think the bodies that are in that uh they eventually find are those, but the movie never tells us otherwise. It never says like he but went you on see this. the first group of people in the chamber getting ready to witness his execution, but you don't again, you don't have names and stories to those bodies that are behind those people. Yeah, that I'm glad you said that because I forgot about it. That is the only other thing that lets us know that it's not the people that we that he explicitly says that that he kills. We do see because they say the family members of his victims. So we do see some other ones, but we still don't know how many. We don't know who, what, why. We don't We don't necessarily need to know all that. But just by saying, you know, that he had X amount of victims and we don't know where they're at, it, it gives you, it, it makes you feel that, oh, he really, outside of being carnage, he really is a killer. And then you can kind of, if they don't want to give you, like, like, tell you reasons that oh no Cletus is just psychotic and a serial killer he likes to kill to kill you can they can let you at least run with your own imagination if you got a number and and whatnot but they chose not to give us any of that again briskness of storytelling so Chad let's talk about that post-credit sequence the only post-credit sequence damn assholes made me wait for another 10 minutes through all the credits for nothing Uh. Oh, no, I, I walked out. Except the logo for uh, Pascal Pictures. Um, so, so Chad, give me your thoughts on the post-credit sequence because it seems to me that they are very specifically saying this incident at the hotel in the hotel room with him watching the thing on the television happens at the exact moment of whatever Strange and Spidey are doing in the Sanctum Serum. And the reason would be because the Eddie is watching the J. Jonah Jameson announcement that's, that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. What is the thing that Peter Parker is trying to undo when he is in the Sanctum Serum? He is trying to get Strange to undo the announcement and the revelation of his identity. So it's very clear that whatever that bright shining light thing was 
was whatever spell uh, strange or, you know, um, uh, mysterious, uh, Mephesto uh, cast in order for people, for people to forget the Peter Parker and Spider-Man are the same person. Why are you bringing up Mephesto? We don't need to do that. We should have a moratorium. Because we all know that that's not actually Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is not that incompetent to listen to Wong, tell him, no, don't do this thing, and then to do it. We all know that that's actually Mephesto. That's not actually Doctor Strange. Come Did on, we forget? Haven't you read Reddit? Haven't you watched the first movie? The very first interaction between Wong and Strange is Wong telling him, tell, giving him instructions, and then the next time we see Strange, he's explicitly going behind Wong's back to do whatever he wants. I think this is pitch perfect for who Doctor Strange is, but I'm, I'm not going to do this right now, and I'm not going to go with Mephesto. I'm not going to feed into this. What I will say uh, is, so my first thought is that I, I'm firmly of the mind and body in, in any kind of science fiction physics that people, when you're doing these these universal jumps and whatnot that you can change you can jump space you can jump you can jump time but not space so so to say that um you'll still be in the same place but maybe in a different universe that's kind of how i like to think of it i'm saying all that to say that this whole sequence we're led to believe that um, this is taking place. Eddie gets zapped into place when Strange does whatever he wants for Peter. However, Eddie is watching um, the J. Joma Jameson feed of Peter being revealed, which one, we haven't seen yet, and two, could not possibly happen at the same time because it seems at least sometime goes between him getting outed and Peter doing the thing. So I under I was just going to say I understand I'm being a nitpicky asshole by saying that. Um point of order, it appears from the trailer, which I saw before the movie, very specifically that they're saying that Peter sees the lights at Halloween that are designed like little pudgy bearded ghosts. And that makes him think of strange and gives him the idea to go to strange. So yeah it would seem to me that it would be sometime in the fall of that year that he would go after trying to live through a couple of weeks of school being like, nah, bro, this ain't gonna work. And then he goes to Dr. Strange. And going by what we know from uh, far from home, far from home is, is his summer vacation. He comes back from summer vacation. So if, if we go with your timeline, he doesn't go to Strange until October-ish. He's back from summer vacation sometime june july august maybe so there's still like three months there so there really should be no way for eddie to be able to watch that but i'm being real nitpicky i know the real reason why he's watching it the real reason why he's watching it is so that we understand what just happened is that now we have an eddie brock staring at a screen with a tom holland spider-man i get that that's why they want in licking the screen and saying that he looks like a delicious treat. Yeah. So I, I'm just going to go straight into what this is. I, I mean, there's almost kind of no way that Venom is not in uh, No Way Home. 
I don't think I don't know if it's going to be a big thing, a small thing, but this venom is like ninety percent sure to be in no way home. That saying that sentence is completely just wild to me, and it the implications of what it means for Disney and Sony going forward. Uh, first and foremost, is like they can't they they came to a point where they are like we can let this happen, and if we're letting this happen, that means there's probably other concessions and other things that are going to be we'll find out later but that in itself is massive but i just don't i by the very nature of this venom i do not like it uh because it you're just you're throwing him in there because he is traditionally a spider-man villain where this venom is clearly not he is he has nothing to do with spider-man but we're about to forfeit a relationship there and i'm there's not a relationship chat there's not a relationship no, he, simply, not. he simply licks the television screen and says that he looks like a tasty treat venom's hungry he goes through an entire spill in this movie about how chicken brains are not enough chad he's tired of eating chicken brains he's on vacation he's got a nice tan and he's ready to go after some actual brains and, and you know what is a sinister six without venom Venom has only been in the Sinister Six once. I have that one. And there's a reason why he's only in there once, because Venom typically does not like the rest of the, the villains. He only begrudgingly does it, and it lasts like half an issue before they all... I mean, granted, the Sinister Six, they almost always end up fighting each other anyway. But no, it it, it comes down to like half an issue, and then Venom starts beating their ass, because he does not like... he. They are villains... He is a lethal protector. He has a, he has a code, and they do not. And it's always a falling out. So he does not need to be in the Sinister Six at all. But but Chad, you just laid out the perfect vision for him to continue to be an antihero by starting out in the Sinister Six and then turning on the other six and helping Tom Holland's uh, Tom Hardy's uh, Tom Holland's Spider Man defeat the Sinister Six. But why does he hate Spider Man? There's a reason everybody else hates Spider-Man. Spider-Man. He's just hungry, dude. He is hungry, and he looks like a tasty treat. So he's going to team up with the five other brains that he could eat just to have the one? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because the uh, other five don't look like tasty like tasty brains. He didn't come for the other five. He came for this dude. I'm not having... Because he saw this. him on TV. He didn't nope. see the others on TV. Yep, yep. He doesn't nope, even not, know the others exist. Not doing it. Nope. And to be fair, would you really want to eat William Defoe's brain? I mean, that just kind of seems like it wouldn't be a tasty treat. It doesn't matter if he, if his is tasty. I, my eyes are better with the five than the one. I can crack open one skull. That's not so good, but I got four other ones. One of them is probably good as opposed to the one. Venom doesn't really strike me as the Goldilocks type. He just sees something and he goes for it. Uh, I well, I I do take him as the, the kind of if he has a if he is a, if he's able to eat more than one set of brains, I do think he would go until he finds the one that he likes the best. Indeed. So the other part of that post credit sequence that I wanted to talk to you about was the sequence that happens before. 
the thunderbolt flash of light. Venom says that he has infinite knowledge of universes that would blow um, Eddie Brock's small, puny human brain. And that he is agreeing at that moment before the flash to share a small fraction of his knowledge with Eddie. What do you, why do you think they included that? Because because Venom goes out of his way after the Flash to say that wasn't me. Um, that is a good point. I I got so caught up with what happens after it, I didn't really even think about that. Um, and I wasn't taken aback by Venom proposing that because when he explains it, it's like you know symbiotes were a hive mind were very were alien very old so yeah they would probably know things that uh, us humans would have no grasp on so that explain that it didn't set off my antennas at all um but maybe it should have but i just i because i don't think so much of this franchise i don't think it's that is going to lead us anywhere or give us like any anything to build off of i just kind of was like i just kind of put it aside i didn't think it was very important maybe it is and maybe they'll prove me wrong but i have no idea what they can possibly be doing with it we also don't really know what a venom 3 looks like at this exact moment because we don't know if there when there's going to be a venom 3 or if they're or if as you suggest they're going to shoot one into no way home yeah that's um... and the problem that i have with shoehorning him into no way home is Raimi's already been down that road once, and I don't think he would agree to go down it a second time. Well, wait, but Raimi's not doing No Way Home. You mean with Doctor Strange? Because that's where that's where Raimi's at. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I don't. So I don't think I don't think Venom shows up in any MCU thing that does not have Spider Man in it. Like letting them do just that much. It's huge for Marvel, but I don't think it's going to go beyond. Like I don't think Venom shows up in Doctor Strange or anything. So if he if he shows up, he's going to show up in No Way Home, which is John Watts and. And all I can say is that if John Watts can pull this off, I cannot wait to see what a Fantastic Four movie looks like because the Fantastic Four are like a very simple task after tackling everything they're asking him to tackle. Yeah, I am eager to see what his job is on this one. Yes, because of what it's going to mean for Fantastic Four, which I was I was kind of worried because he would have been going straight from No Way Home to Fantastic Four. So four straight Marvel movies. I'm like, come on. I mean, I, I like them, but I would want him to, like, take a break or whatnot. And it seems like he is. He's making another movie in between there that's smaller and has famous doing, a, d- doing the uh the mark watts thing you know doing a smaller film before going back yeah so uh so that that makes me feel better about what he's doing so we'll see what craziness he's balancing for this one uh for the fantastic four but i'm pretty sure he's balancing venom somewhere in this movie Indeed. Before we go, let me uh, issue this statement to the uh, Movies on the Brain podcast. Go see The Eyes of Tammy Faye if you like Andrew Garfield. 
you you enjoy him as a person and as an actor uh, because him and Jessica Chastain absolutely kill it. And uh, there's uh, something that I didn't think about when I got out of that movie was uh, the fact that millennials, people our age, Chad, people 35 to 40, know of Jim and Tammy Faye, but don't know that story. And certain people, certainly people younger than us, have no idea that televangelism was a huge thing and a money-making deal and all the things. So I think it's going to be an awesome thing for younger folks to get to know that story and to take the lessons from it. Uh, but those two powerhouse performances is a shame. We're in the middle of a pandemic still and no one's going to see this movie, but I'm glad I got the chance to go see it. Also, Jerry Falwell's a dick. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, I've always heard of them, but I didn't know. I don't I didn't know anything about this story really until I heard this movie was coming out and then I kind of looked into them like, oh, OK, that's I didn't well, know Tammy that. Faye, Tammy Faye far outlived Jim and her legacy uh, went far beyond his and she was still an active part of popular culture, um, even until she died, I think, of, in 2009 of breast cancer. But um you know, she she remained a vid, very vivid naked part. I mean, the reason the movie is called The Eyes of, of Tammy Faye is because everybody is not like the uh, the eyebrows and the uh, eyeshadow are synonymous, synonymous with, uh, with Tammy Faye Baker. Um, I compare this movie a lot to Joy, and I think this movie is far better than Joy and David O. Russell's attempt to tell that story because I think these performances are better and I think the story is structured in a way that is better. And I enjoyed this much more than I even did any of Adam McKay's work. But I think the commentary here is, is really sharp and really pointed and really good. Uh, who knew Jessica Chastain is a brilliant actress. Um, but fun fact, you wanna know who the director is on it? I thought I knew this, but I don't, so yes. The director on it is the dude from Wet Hot American Summer. I did hear that. Huh, interesting. I'm I'm going to check it out. It, pro it, it probably won't be for a while, but I am curious to see it. And I do know Andrew Garfield is a great actor, so I I'm looking forward to this. If nothing else, it gave him a chance to be on a promotional tour and talk about things other than Spider Man and just get asked a bunch of Spider Man questions. On the flip side of that, it also gave everybody the opportunity to say, "So you're in Spider Man, right?" Because that's what happened. And, uh, you know, such a, a powerhouse uh, couple of months here for Jessica Chastain going from uh, scenes in a marriage, scenes from a marriage to this and two powerhouse performances that could very well lead her, lead her in an Oscar race again. Um, you know, it's just, I, I love that art house, art house actresses and actors tend to bundle two or three of these together in a season because they can because they don't take 12 months to film they take yeah. eight to ten weeks to film and then all of a sudden now you've got two films coming out within six weeks of each other that are both going to be in the running yeah so uh, maybe once it hits uh uh, streaming out uh, well not streaming I'll, I'll i'll pay for it i'll do on demand i just don't think i'll have uh well it is fox time. searchlight so there is um, also the possibility it'll end up on hulu at some point yeah i, I just kind of want to see it before then uh, but we'll see how that goes 
All right. That'll about do it for this week's movie on the brain, movies on the brain podcast. I am on Twitter at BCW Tiger fan, actively campaigning for Mark Sanchez for the USC head coaching job. He is at the Mets theory and it is his birthday. And we appreciate Chad for everything that he does for this podcast, including editing it and keeping all of my Mark Sanchez references in. Thank you very yes, much. And have a pleasant evening. Bye y'all.